Would you open your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 30? 1 Samuel chapter 30. Mom, today, moms, today is not a day I'm going to step out of. We're, we're, if you're new here, I'm not going to step out of a series. We're, we're kind of in this uh, series. We'll actually finish it next Sunday, and then we're, the pastor, other pastors are going to be leading you through a series through 1 Peter uh, this summer. And uh, so today, uh, we're going to continue in this, and and part of it uh, is going to be impacted uh, because of Mother's Day and the reflective nature uh, of it uh, with what's going on. But this is a passage in a study we've been going through. When you stop and consider what God has done in David's life, he's been raised through adversity. I mean, it's just been years and years and time and time, chapters and chapters of David being raised through adversity. So here's the plan with our time. Uh, I'm going to take us and we're going to read through the entire chapter and just commenting on that. And then after that, I want to kind of come and do some stop. Let's consider what God has done in David's life here because something happens at the end of chapter 30 that is just really special. We're seeing David mature. And moms, dads, all of us, There is something beautiful about maturity. Maturity is a beautiful thing, and we're going to, Lord willing, see that. So let's uh, walk through the chapter. Let's kind of move to our slide we've been using here a little bit. I've got on here uh, area. The the white part is uh, Philistine territory. The big circle here is kind of King Saul's uh, kingdom area. We've got these various cities that we've we've been seeing in 1 Samuel. I've got the Amalekites down here. I've added that. We've got this gray circle that's here. That's going to be part we'll see at the end of chapter 30 in this, these cities in this area of Judah. Uh, let's uh, move through the text. And Lord, do a work in our lives as we study your word. Amen? Amen. Chapter 30, uh, verse 1. Now when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day, or it could be after three days, let me set this up. Chapter 29, uh, last Sunday we were seeing that uh, uh, David and his men, 600 men, were uh, coming and they, had, uh, they were living in Ziklag. They were coming up to Afek to where uh, all of uh, Achish's armies were gathering in Afek to come up to battle uh, Israel in the valley of Jezreel here. And so they were here in Afek and at this point in time, the generals of the Philistine armies are like, hey, David's a Hebrew and his men are Hebrews. What are we having the, our enemies join? joining with us, and Achish is fighting for David because he's shown himself to be trustworthy, which just bothers me, you know, over the last year and a half in time, and, and we were talking about that, and, and really God ends up, uh, I think, stepping in quietly through Achish, through these pagan generals, and sending David back home and his men back home to Ziklag, and so we left chapter 29, where they're told to go back home in chapter 30, verse 1, and now when David and his men came to Ziklag after three days. The Amalekites had made a raid against the Negev or the Negev and, and against Ziklag. In other words, from down here, they were making a war, battling along kind of in this whole area up here, and we're noting Ziklag here in the text. And they had overcome Ziklag and burned it with fire and taken captive uh, the women and all who were in it, both small and great. Uh, they killed no one, but they carried them off and went their way. 
So what happens is, is Dave and his men here are up in a uh, fake and then they're sent back home. They come back home and what do they find? They find their town where they've been living for about a year and a half, burned to the ground and, and they uh, say, sorry, on Mother's Day, but it's just what's going on in the text. They don't come home and find their families dead laying all over the town. They're gone. They're away. Uh, sometimes we, we are aware of things and knowing things as we're reading it, but you got to put yourself in the moment of what it's like. And so they've been sent home, they come back home, and they find that their, their families have been carried off as well as, well as all their other goods. And, and verse 3, and when David and his men came to the city, they found it burned with fire. There's wives, their sons, their daughters taken captive. Verse 4, then David and the people who were with him raised their voices and wept until they had no more strength to weep. Um, I, I want to note here, uh, these are warrior men. These are manly men that's going on here. And they come home and they see their families have, are gone. It's just disappeared. Uh, thank the Lord they're not lying dead all around. Uh, but they're just gone and, and, and coming home and they see this and, and they're just weeping. And the text emphasizes this as we go along. Uh, let me say something to the guys. Men, real men love their families. Real men love their families. And real men love their families not just when their families are like disappeared. Real men love their families. And these here are warrior men. And they are weeping and wailing and the emphasis here until they have no more strength even to cry anymore. Verse 5, and David's two wives had also been taken captive. I'll call them Ahi and Abi. And uh, verse 6, and David was greatly distressed. Well, I would say he would be. No, but actually we're learning here now. He's distressed about something else. David is greatly distressed for the people spoke of stoning him. Because all the people were bitter in soul, each for his sons and daughters. I think we could all understand that. I mean, you come home. It's like your family's gone, your houses are burned to the ground, everything is taken from you, and you're weeping and wailing. And one of the things that's just in us is we, we want to know why, and we want to take revenge ASAP. I get that. We can get that. We understand that. And here in it, David comes home, and David sees his own family is, is destroyed or taken away, taken captive. He's distressed in that, weeping and wailing in that. And by the way, on top of that, he has the 600 men and their families, and just any kind of leader that has any sense of other people feels the weight for them. And not only his family, but all of theirs that have been serving with him. Oh, I can say, it's tough to be a leader. It's heavy to be a leader. And here David in this is experiencing the weight of what's happening here. And it's gotten to the point where they are talking amongst themselves like, this is David's fault. You know, we got behind him a long time ago. And David leads us in this. And, and David's taking my family. Let's take him out. Let's stone him. Um, man. That's heavy stuff. So what David, what's David going to do? But David became a victim. And David wept and wailed and got online and told everybody how 
what a ripoff it was. And how everyone's being cruel on him and how he didn't deserve this and, and how he should deserve this. And, and, and you know what I'm talking about. David doesn't become a victim. Watch, take a look at this. I am in no way saying it was, this was easy for David and this is not like David's like, oh, well, you know, uh, that's just the way people are. So I'm going to go on. Listen, that is not what's going on here. But look at the text here. But David strengthened himself in the Lord and Yahweh, his God. I'm going to make mention of this toward the end of our time here, uh, but just quickly here, notice uh, David isn't seeing himself uh, and, and becoming overly victimized. Dave, David isn't blame-shifting. David isn't, you know, uh, cussing out other people and telling them to stone them or going after them. No, no, what, what does David do? David goes to strengthen himself, not by doing any of those things, but David strengthens himself in the Lord. And by the way, notice it. It's his God. There's a personalness to this. It's not just David strengthens himself in some, you know, deity structure or mindset that's out there. No, no. David uh, strengthens himself in Yahweh, his God. That's what he does. He leads into God. Uh, that's the thing that struck me out of this text. When things are tough, when things are hard, where do you lean? Whom do you lean into? Where do you go? What do you say? What happens? It tells so much about who we are. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God, in his loss, in his distress, in his terror, in his anger, in his fright. David leans into the Lord. Verse 7, And David said to Aviathar the priest, the son of Ahimelech, Bring me the ephod. By the way, that is an interesting statement because it's been since chapter 23 that we've heard any of that going on for David. I've been very open with you over the last few chapters about the whole thing with David. It's just like, David, what's going on with you? This whole thing in the land of the Philistines becoming just like bros with King Achish, a, a God, a Yahweh hater. Well, what's going on with this, David? What's happening with you? Where's your character? What's taking place in all of this? And and uh, in all of that, and, and yet here, this is, it's been since chapter 23 that David's called, that we've been told David's called Aviathar the priest, and he's bringing out the ephod. Uh, David is uh, strengthening himself in the Lord, and it shows. He knows where to go. He knows how to lean into the Lord, and it's time to lean into the Lord. And so Aviathar brought the ephod to David. By the way, the ephod and the whole process, there's still some kind of mystery, if you will, about that, but so much of that has to do with yes and no answers, uh, kind of a thing with that. And so here it's, uh, he inquired of the Lord. That's what he's doing. That's where you begin strengthening. Go there, go to his God, inquiring of God. God, I'm back, I'm here, I'm with you, I'm seeing myself here, I'm staying here. God, I need you in this. You're the strength. Things aren't the strength. People aren't the strength. You are my strength. And I'm inquiring, and he asked, shall I pursue after this band? Shall I overtake them? And he answered them, pursue, for you shall surely overtake and surely rescue. So David set out. Love that. So David didn't just sit there in that place, but he set out. He did. 
And the 600 men who were with him, and they came to the brook of Bashor, Bashor, where those who were left behind stayed. But David pursued, he and 400 men, 200 stayed behind who were too exhausted to cross the brook of Bashor. Out of his 600 men, after the weeping, and David is heading south. The, the brook of Ashore is kind of down on this lower part here of Philistine. We'll just kind of call it right in that territory. And as they head down to this territory, they get down there and to cross this brook, to cross this river, there are 200 of his men, of his 600 men, that are like, I can't go any farther. I'm too exhausted. Why am I too exhausted? Because of the pain and the agony and the crying. They were exhausted to the point that they couldn't even cry anymore. So... 200 of them say, I can't. Bless their hearts, man. Verse 11. So they crossed and they found an Egyptian in the open country and brought him to David and they gave him bread and he ate. They gave him water to drink. They gave him a piece of cake of figs and two clusters of raisins. And when he had eaten, his spirit was revived for he had not eaten bread or drunk water for three days and three nights. That's interesting. Why do we care how many days? I'm going to suggest that actually, uh, when you go back to verse 1 of chapter 30, where it says they came back to Ziklag after three days, and then three days is mentioned here, I'm just going to throw this thought out. God in his mercy is bringing David and his men back to Ziklag. And then in this time, as they're coming back, just know this, God is doing a work with some servant young man down yonder, and he's, we'll see here in just a second, and God is allowing him to get sick, to be left behind so that David would connect. Can I, I'll just say it this way. God is providentially at work all around. And oftentimes when we can't see beyond the six feet in front of us, God knows what's coming and God in his sovereignty is working all things together. And there's a hope in that. There's a trust in that. It's hard to be that. Where God, what are you doing? Uh, moms, uh, dads, you know, with your kids, it's like, oh God, I just pray that they would grow up to love you. And then that grows into, oh God, I just pray that if they get married, they would marry someone who loves you. And then it's, oh, God, if they have children and they're my grandchildren, oh, God, I pray that those grandchildren, it just keeps going. And that's a wonderful thing. There's a trusting reality. Oh, God, we're dependent upon you in and through all of that. So uh, they find this Egyptian, verse 13. Uh, David said to him, to whom do you belong and where are you from? And he said, I'm a young man of Egypt, servant to an Amalekite. And my master left me behind because I fell sick three days ago. Hmm. We made a raid against the Negev of the uh, Cretans and against uh, that which belongs to Judah and against the Negev of Caleb. It's kind of this whole territory in, in this area here. And we burned Ziglag with fire. Uh, can you imagine once they hear that? You, so you were there when you burned down our hometown and took off our wives and, and our daughters and our sons. Imagine just what's rising up with them. Verse 15, and David said to him, will you take me down to this band? In other words, will you take me to those who, who did all of this? And he said, swear to me by Elohim. I think actually the idea is swear to me by the gods 
that you will uh, not kill me or deliver me into the hands of my master, and I will take you down to this band. Verse 16, and when he had taken him down, behold, they were spread abroad all over the land, eating and drinking and dancing because of all the great spoil they had taken from the land of the Philistines and the land of Judah. And man, when you see that happening, man, I'm telling you, you just got to rise up within you that you just want to take them out. Because why are you celebrating? You're celebrating because you just stole everything of ours, including our family. Verse 17, and David struck them down from twilight until the evening of the next day. I think it's kind of from dawn to after sunset on that day. And not a man of them escaped except 400 young men who mounted camels and fled. David recovered all the Amalekites had taken. David rescued his two wives. Don't worry, we'll talk about the wives here when we get to 2 Samuel. Verse 19, nothing was missing whether small or great, sons or daughters, spoil or anything that had been taken, David brought back all. David also captured all the flocks and the herds and the people drove the livestock before him and said, this is David's spoil. By the way, that's a very interesting comment when you go back and you think of the comment made not too long earlier about maybe we should stone him. The turn of things and what's going on. Verse 21 Then David came to the 200 men who had been too exhausted to follow David. In other words, they're coming back to that, uh, to the brook uh, of Ashur and and who had been, who had stayed there. And they went out to meet David and to meet the people who were with him. And when David came near to the people, he greeted them. And then all the wicked and worthless fellows among the men who had gone with David. That's interesting, isn't it? They said, because they did not go with us, we will not give them any of the spoil that we have recovered, except that each man may lead away his wife and children and depart. But David said, let's pause there just a second. So you have David's coming down They're They're seeing the Amalekites celebrating over everything, all of the spoils and, and all the catastrophe that they've brought. And so they go to war against them. They take them all out. Uh, some of them escape out. And then they're heading back home to Ziklag with, with their families and everything, by the way, which is really cool. Then they come to the brook. And they're there, and their families join them there. What a special moment. And yet in the moment, there are some who are there. It's like, wait a second. We're not going to share all the spoils with them. They can have their wives. They can have their sons. They can have their daughters back. But these people who didn't have enough in them to be able to go on down with us, why should we share the spoils with them? And uh, David then said, you shall not do so, my brothers, with what the Lord has given us. Notice David understands God's given this to him. He has preserved us and given into our hand the band that came against us who would listen to you in this matter. For as his share is who goes down into the battle, so shall his share be who stays by the baggage that they shall share alike. Verse 25, and he made it a statute and a rule for Israel from that day forward to this day. And then verse 26, when David came to Ziklag, he sent part of the spoils to his friends, the elders of Judah, over in this gray area here, in these cities, as a present from the spoil of the enemies of the Lord. It was for those, and then all the names of it, I'm not going to read through them. It was for those, for all the places where David and his men had roamed.
Something's happening here at the end of this text that is really special. David's looking like a king. David is looking like a king. Mom, moms. I'll just say, imagine reading ever since chapter 16. Imagine that you're David's mom. And you are reading all this about these, I'm going to call them the last 13 years. I'm going to term it that way because, I don't know, it's 10 years, it's 15 years. I'm going to go 13 years because we're about a church that's about 13 years old. So over these last 13, you go back and you read all that's been taking place in David's life and these snippets that are accounted for here. And here you are, a mom, reading all of his, these 13 years of his life. And I just sit back and I think, man, if I were a mom, I know if I were David's dad, I'd be sitting back and going, blessed. You know, there's some times in there where David's kind of like, come on, buddy, come on, man, not that for you. But on the whole of it, I think you just sit back and you go, man, I can't believe that's my son. I can't believe. I'm just amazed. I'm stunned. I'm proud. Blessed. That's my boy. (laughs) I think as a mom, not only would you be having that sentiment to David, but I think you'd be even having that sentiment for those who had been a part of David's life. Like I think of Samuel. I think of Jonathan. I think of Abigail. Ahimelech, Aviathar. I, I think if you're David's mom and you're reading through all this and the counting of these times, you would have, I'll call it, a mom's word for Saul. I think you'd have a mom's word for Saul. I think you'd probably have a, a mom's word for Goliath and for the Amalekites. And I wouldn't want to be in that room to hear mom's words on those. And in this, I'm just going to assume that David's mom was, a, uh, was, was the kind of mom who was seeking to raise his kids to leave home to see and, and handle life biblically for God's glory. And if you're seeing that, by the time you get to the end of chapter 30, you're like, boom, baby. This is exciting, man. What a joy this would, and let me put it this way, to see the beauty of the maturity taking place in David's life. Where God has brought him. I think for all of us here in this, I would, David Sumara, he says this in summary at the end of chapter 30, in summary, we can see the hand of the Lord working in all these matters, preparing David to be the future king, the prototype of the Messiah. We're coming to the end of 1 Samuel and there's maturity that's taken place. There's growth in David and it's a beautiful beautiful thing. God has brought this young man who was tending the sheep, whose dad didn't even think he needed to be in the room when Samuel was there because certainly he wouldn't anoint and pick David to be king. And yet the one who wasn't even in the room at the time, and yet Samuel anoints to be king one day. And instead of God just grabbing David and placing him smack dab in, in the throne seat of Israel, God has something to do with David's life. I'll call it 13 years of maturing growth in his life. Because God knew putting him from here into there would be a vast mistake. David wasn't ready for it yet. God had something for him, and yet God had to do a sovereign work in his life. 
God had to allow David to mature. And now we're seeing him, I think he's right around 28, 29. He's 30 years old when he becomes king in 2 Samuel, as we'll see after the summer. And David is, is right at this place. And now what do we see? We see at the end of chapter 30, David is talking like, David is looking like a king because he's making these statutes. He's making these rules for Israel from that day forward, including the whole thing of sharing with this, uh, these leaders of Judah, which are gonna become important for him in the coming chapters in 2 Samuel. David's looking like a king, and moms, there's just times where you gotta step back. Dad's times you gotta step back. All of his times we need to just step back and take a look at what God has done over the last 13 years. With that in mind, I kind of want to turn our focus over to an image of a mature tree. That is one beautiful tree. When you look at that tree, you just see these branches, these branches that are drilled into the trunk and are just extending out and are strong. Branches that, that are producing leaves, these beautiful green leaves. And these branches are connected into this, this trunk that is like a, a, a towering uh, a pillar, a towering pillar of strength. You can't even put your arms all the way around this trunk. And then this trunk attached into these roots that have, over time, have embedded themselves in the ground upon which they will, well, I'll call it, sovereignly been planted and are continually extending themselves and growing out and growing deep. Slowly, day in, day out, week in, week out, month in, month out, year in, year out. It's a beautiful thing. And this tree that we sit under, it's not 28 or 29 years old. I don't know, 60 years old, 100 years old. But know this, that tree has gone through, I'm, I would say it this way, this tree has for sure a 13-year-old tale to tell that was critical in it being able to be what it is today. Think about the external adversity that a tree like this takes. Times of torrential storms just unleashing on it. Hurricane-type winds, burning heat, brittle cold. Times of drought. Times of animals crawling all over it, living on it laughing in it, but also times to where insects are seeking to bore into it. Ultimately, they could take its life, but it's enduring through these external adversities. And yet, I'll say, there's also in all of the external adversities, there's an understood internal forces that are taking place. Just the fact of photosynthesis. I mean, taking from the sun, the heat, the energy from the sun, absorbing that in, turning that into uh, the nutrients and the things that it needs to be able to live. It's participating in this process. But you see, if it isn't participating in that, it's going to die. Might we say that tree is strengthening itself? 
day in, day out. It's forming branches, new growth. It's shedding some. It's bearing leaves, it's roots like fingers just grabbing into the soil, wrapping itself around and drawing from the nutrients, the water and the nutrients of the soil. It's engaged in the whole process of it. When I just talk about this, I think of the ant trees in the Lord of the Rings. So cool. And they're so slow. Little hobbits hanging in there. And when they talk, they just talk in this kind of a way of maturity. And it's a beautiful thing. Maturity is a beautiful thing. And friends, when a tree doesn't grow into this, and it could grow into this, it's a sad thing. It actually ends up being a sad story. And God for us is all about maturing us. The Bible uses the term completing us, perfecting us. You see, we want God to pamper us. We want God to send us a check in the mail. We want God to take care of all of my situations and all of my trials and, and the people and the, and the money and, and the hassles and the, the family and the this and the that. God, could you just take care of all that? Know this, if you're in Christ one day, he will. But right now, God is like, no. Because you're not understanding my purposes. My purposes, we studied them, James chapter one this fall. Count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect, mature. By the way, I say that and I bring in Psalm 78, 70 to 72. Psalm 78, it says of David, God chose David, his servant, and took him from the sheep pens, from tending the sheep, and it says he brought him to be the shepherd of his people. That term, he brought him to be, that's what we're talking about. God didn't say, let me pamper you more, poomp, God said, you, let me perfect you. Let me mature you. Let me take you through times of distress and times of hurt and times of pain and times of agony and times of distress. And let me mature you. Let me bring drought on you. Let me bring winds on you. Let me bring hailstorms on you. Not because I don't love you. I do love you. But you've got to understand what I'm doing. I'm not trying to pamper you into a fluffy bunny tree. As we told our grandkids, there are mushroom bushes. I'm sorry, not mushroom, marshmallow bushes. And you go out and we put marshmallows on the bushes. Some of them believe it, some of them don't. God is not trying to do that. God is trying to mature us that we would look more like this in his eyes. Let me bring this uh, to kind of a conclusion here. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 1. 
This summer, we're going to be studying this. As I mentioned, uh, the pastoral staff is going to be leading you through that study. Pastor Cody here, uh, starting here in two weeks, and, and then the others are going to be all sharing in that. And in chapter one, like James chapter one, it says, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that, that's the important statement, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, that is James chapter one, more precious than gold that perishes though refined by fire, may be found a result in the praise, glory, and honor at the revealing of Christ. So summarize it up this way. Five just notes you might wanna take down. Number one, in verses one through six of chapter 30, David is distressed. He comes to find out his family's been hauled off. All of those under his leadership, their families have been hauled off. Their city has been burned down. The Amalekites who did that are celebrating, rejoicing, and dancing, and laughing over it. And he is distressed. And he has sovereignly allowed this hurt, even including his own men uh, talking of stoning him. But verse 6 David strengthened. David strengthened himself in the Lord. Friends, don't become a victim. A sovereign God is at work. And I am not saying that life is easy, but I am saying this. When we go to victimization, we're in a bad place. Because when we go to victimization, now God is no longer sovereign. God is no longer doing a steadfast building work. God even uses evil like the Amalekite, what they did, for God's people's growth and good. And David is strengthened and he's, he's, he's in the, girding himself in who God is. He's inquiring of the Lord. He's leaning into the Lord. He's, he's strengthened. And then David set out, verse 9, He's not sitting. He's not just sitting around. He's not getting to the point where it's like, you know what? It's been 13 years of like adversity. I'm tired of this. I'm, I'm tired of this. I quit. I'm just going to sit. God's like, no, that, that's, that, that's, that. No, I, I can understand. Lord, is there any other way that you could take this from me in Gethsemane? But not my will, your will. And yet David set out, trusting, goes to battle. He seeks to restore. And then I love uh, calling it David established in the end of chapter 30. We just see this. All of a sudden, David comes into this king-like form. And he says, no, that's not the way we're going to be. We're going to be like this. And I love that way David even declares that, says that, kind of drives that stake in the ground. No, this is the kind of man I'm going to be. This is the kind of people that we are going to be. I've learned out of this that, no, we are going to be like this. And he establishes himself. And I'll just say this uh, lastly, out of all this, David prepared. He is increasingly be prepared because he is increasingly mature in Christ. And last note. Remember in chapter 17 when David is with, about to go take Goliath and do the whole boink? David made a statement before all that went down that was like this. I remember a time when God allowed me to take out a lion and a bear. 
And if God allowed me to take out a lion and a bear, God can step into this and allow me to take out this Goliath from Gath. I think over the last 13 years, forever since that chapter, God has been giving David new lion and bear illustrations. He's got a whole litany of them now. The kind of lion and bear God at work stories that when he sits on a throne as a king, that all of those will be coming back. And God's trying to do the same thing in your, my, your life and mine. And so God, help us. Help us to see the beauty of maturity and help us to and just endear ourselves to your process and your purposes of maturing us. God, too often we are like the little kids who are told and instructed in what to do and we throw fits and temper tantrums. And sometimes in those, I think you give us timeouts. <laughs> and yet, God, would you help us to mature? In fact, maybe some in this room right now are in some of those temper tantrums with you. Maybe they need to drop that rock with you and realize that all that's been taking place has sovereignly been under your hand and care for the purpose of us growing in our walk with you, in our understanding of you, and in our maturity of you. Preparing us, not only for our presentation, but preparing us for our present work of life as living prototypes of you. Oh God, thank you that you love us in the kind of a way that you want to mature us. Help us as we grow in you. In Christ's name we pray, amen.